This episode is brought to you by Evermill. Evermill makes the world's most elegant spice rack that features text-to-refill organic spices in compostable packets, as well as a suite of kitchen products that help you cook so you can focus on sharing meals with the ones you love. This episode is brought to you by Equipped. Equipped is a modern luxury fitness brand that creates stylish, compact, portable, and versatile fitness equipment that will inspire you to move anytime, anywhere, whether you have half a minute or half an hour. Stay tuned for some special offers from our amazing sponsors exclusively for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest, and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of the Stairway to CEO podcast. I'm your host, Lee Green. And today I sat down with Alex Bayer, the co-founder and CEO of Genius Juice. Based in Southern California, Genius Juice is on a mission to bring nutrition to the mainstream with organic plant-based beverages starting in 2014 with an organic coconut smoothie and soon to launch this year an organic wellness shot to help with focus and energy. Alex shares with us his struggles growing up with social anxiety, how he started his career selling cell phone plans, to selling insurance for Affleck, to working with a life coach who suggested that he gets into the food and beverage business. We talk about how he started Genius Juice, his experience pitching on Shark Tank, and how his deal with two of the sharks actually never went through. Alex also has a crowdfunding campaign currently live on republic.com. So if you like this episode and you want to help support his brand, you can go to republic.com slash dash two, or you can click the link in our show notes. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Alex. How are you doing today? I'm super excited to have your to hear your story in building Genius Juice. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Lee, for having me on. I've done that intro so often and I feel like maybe I should switch it up because obviously it's like a tongue twister now. <laughs> it's good. It's one take, hashtag no retake. So right. no matter how it We're comes out. We're live people. It, we just, you know, we, we talk and we just publish. <laughs> Keep it rolling. Yep. <laughs> so let's hear your story. Where are you from originally? Where'd you grow up? So I grew up in Rancho Palos Verdes, California. I was born a long time ago. I won't even say my age. I used to be proud of my age, but now I'm getting up there. It's just like downhill from here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I feel better than ever before, but then yeah. there's the other side to it, which is like, it's unreal that I just graduated. It's like I just graduated college and I was, I'm like 22 and I was like, many years ago. And then I'm like, wait, if that many years pass again, I'll be in my 60s and then I'll be in my 80s. It's like, so time, right? time really flies. Yeah, it is really crazy. You're like, wow, a decade has passed. And that was actually really fast. Oh my God, how fast is the next decade going to pass? <laughs> yeah. And it seems yeah. like the, the busier we get with work, with family, and it's yeah. it's good. These are all good things. And we're growing as human beings and learning about ourselves and what mm -hmm. really makes us happy. And what do we want to do 
with our lives. So we learn as we go, which is beautiful, but then it, everything becomes a lot exponentially faster. Mm-hmm. Well, especially with kids, how old are your kids? Are they one child? And I have a picture of him right here on my desk. He is now 11 weeks. So he is. Whoa. Congratulations. You're in the new. thick of it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And my, are you my guys wife's... sleeping through the night yet? So my wife is really great not to get too personal, but she's amazing. I have a pretty demanding work schedule. Mm -hmm. So she really looks after our baby Aaron more than I do. But then I I like to kind of backload it where I catch up at night because I work Mm -hmm. at night. And then I also like to catch up on the weekends where I can. But she's she's amazing. And she's really making it easier on me by being even more attentive to our baby. But it's great. And we're happy. And it's your first. Our first. Congratulations. Big congrats. It's a wild ride. I have a 21-month-old. Oh, wow. Congratulations to you. Your first as well. Our first, yep. It's a wild ride. And I remember the first few weeks. I mean, we were lucky. I think, you know, our son started sleeping through the night in two months. So Mm. we were pretty on the lucky side, I think, with that. (laughs) That's really lucky. That's record-breaking. And I mean, we can have a whole parent talk about all this conversation for another podcast (laughs) totally well there's a a term on linkedin called parentpreneur parentpreneur that is starting to go around and there was someone that did an article about it about like being a parent Mm -hmm. raising children while you're working and the demanding work schedule of running your own company plus raising a child Mm -hmm. but that is amazing that your baby started sleeping two months in (laughs) for us again probably too much detail. We're like, okay, like he's in the bed. Great. Next to us, he's going to sleep better. But when he's in the bed, it's can be dangerous, right? You can roll on him and things can happen. So ultimately we're training him by putting him in the bassinet. Oh, the bassinet. Uh, Right, right. Yeah. The crib is just way too big. Too big, too soon. Yeah. Yeah. It's like me staying in SoFi Stadium. You know, it's like, (laughs) it's that big. It's too soon. Yeah. I forget when they move from the bassinet to the crib, but you're right. Bassinet is for the first couple of weeks. Yeah. For, I mean, we're two, yeah, we're two months in still mm-hmm. in the bassinet, My, but he's yeah. quickly outgrowing it. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Very exciting and and certainly challenging, especially during that time to uh, balance building a business and have such a, a little one at home, but wishing you all the best of luck on the parenting front. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. It's wonderful. Wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. It's amazing. So about your childhood, what were you like growing up as a kid? What was childhood like? Did you have siblings? What did your parents do? Can you kind of paint the picture of little Alex? Sure. Yeah, I feel like it could turn into a psychology session here. So uh, yep. view, viewers, just get, <laughs> Sit get back, ready. Relax, everybody. Here's the therapy session. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I would say as a kid, I was very, very shy and like really reserved. Tons of social anxiety as a kid. Like mm. when I was like two years old, I didn't. But around like seven, eight years old, I just started getting social anxiety. It was hard to be around people. It was hard to be at dinner table. It was like, what does that mean? Is that like a genetic thing? Is that where do you think it comes from? I can't really explain it because if I knew, then I could probably cure and and really help more people. Mm. But I think it's like partially brain chemistry hmm. And also partially how you're raised. I really feel it's nature and nurture. It's a combination of the two and kind of your life experiences that shape that mm-hmm. there's probably some trauma in there as well. Like not, you know, not terrible, like 
trauma is not supposed to be a strong or terrible word. It could be even minor trauma, like, and again, maybe something I don't even remember, like five years old and someone in kindergarten kept making fun of me and said like, oh, you should just shut up and stop talking. And then maybe I took that to heart and I stopped mm. talking. Again, I can't remember these things. So it's really fascinating. Like the first three, four years of your life is so crucial that it actually locks in who you are for pretty much the rest of your life, your brain chemistry, your personality, which is why with our baby, I'm like, okay, the first three years, crucial, lots of love, take care of him, make sure that he grows up to be a happy person. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. It's a serious responsibility. Parenting is. <laughs> exactly. But going back, putting the spotlight back yeah. on me on this, not sure where, but in the last, I would say five or 10 years, I've really worked hard on how to incorporate a better lifestyle to work through some of these challenges, right? Whether it's exercise, I do yoga every single morning. It's only for 15 minutes, but it's something I do a little bit of exercise. I feel that exercise and meditation, yoga, those types of things really help you to work through a lot of anxiety or other challenges you're having. And then also eating right. If you eat the right things, the chemistry in your body, you feel better, you feel happier, you feel mm -hmm. more clarity. All these things in combination, I think, help people get through their challenges. And everyone has a, a challenge. Absolutely. Did you have siblings growing up? Yeah, one sibling. She is four and a half years older than me, and she is up in San Francisco when she has one child. So yeah. amazing. And so what kind of things were you into as a kid? Did you play any sports or what, were, what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, if you kind of go back to the era, right, I was, I'm going to reveal my age. Well, it's on LinkedIn anyway, but I was born in 1982 and a little company called Nintendo came out right around 1985, 86. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I was six, seven years old, I think 1990, we got Nintendo. And that basically took over everything. You know, it was Mario Brothers. It was... Mortal Kombat. No. Mortal, yeah, Mortal, <laughs> Mortal Kombat was SNES. Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong. Yeah, Donkey Kong was a big one. There's like arcade games now, you know, that like invaders and stuff that were on Nintendo. Mm -hmm. There was another one that I'm forgetting the name of that was a huge uh, Zelda. Like Zelda right. was really fun. Well, that was like Super Nintendo. So are you talking about like the Super Nintendo or the old school Nintendo? So to get in, more in the weeds on this, because this is a great subject that a lot of people love that are our, our generation, right? The millennials and then pre-millennials. Mm hmm Nintendo had a bunch of games. This is not S Super Nintendo. Nintendo had Zelda, had Mario, had a bunch of games. And then Super Nintendo came out in 92 or 91, which is the most successful console of all time. And they came out with Super Mario Kart or Super Mario mm -hmm. World. So everything that had Mario in it, they just put Super in front of it. And then Zelda came out a new version of it on SNES. And then from there... So my childhood was, re was really, to go back to your original question, my childhood is really dominated by a lot of video games because Nintendo came out, mm -hmm. PlayStation came out, yeah, Nintendo 64 came out, like all these, you know, PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3. So through my, and then computer games in 95, a little company called Blizzard, which I think merged with Activision, they came out with. Warcraft. It was uh, Warcraft and then Starcraft and then World of Warcraft. So we were into all that. But what's really great is 
it was early enough where we weren't just inside all day. It wasn't like we were inside playing all day. We also exercised like mofos. We went out and played basketball. We went out and went running. We went biking. And so whenever my friends would hang out, we never had a cell phone. We're just like, hey, mom and dad, we're going to go out. Right. We'll, be back. we'll be back by dinner. Mm-hmm. And we had the whole day just to go out and there was no leash. There was no cell right. phone. Right. So that I thought felt was the best times of our childhood is like calling up friends, going out, right. playing sports. Knocking on the neighbor's door. Hey, can you come out and play? <laughs> Old school. You know, it's like that. Yeah. It's like Dennis the Menace, you know. I mean, yep. and we we were Dennis the Menaces for sure. So, absolutely, climbing trees, riding bikes in the neighborhood. I mean, it's so different, you know, to think about how kids are raised today with the cell phones, and like even just thinking about my son being a, a kid and maybe not having like a phone or or a way I could reach him. That would be crazy. It just sounds insane. But anyways, so you were a gamer, basically, like an OG, like enjoyed Nintendo and N64 and PlayStation from back in the day. That was kind of one of your hobbies, it sounds like. Did you have any ideas like as you were in high school or whatever, what you wanted to be when you grew up? Did you have any aspirations early on? I knew that I did not want to work an office job. I knew that very early on because I think part of it was a social anxiety, like, you know, being around people all day. Like, I'm, I'm cool being around people and I love people and I've grown to love people even more as I get older and more appreciative of everyone around me and friends and family and loved ones and colleagues. But being in a chair at a desk with a hundred people in a room and you're there all day mm-hmm. and you can't really escape that. And then you go to lunch and you're with them at lunch and then you're, or you're in the break room. And then after lunch, you're back at your desk And then when the sun goes down, you go home. It's just like, to me, it was effed up. You know, like it it was like, this is definitely not natural, right? Like we're humans. Like it just doesn't seem right. It's like being in a cage all day. Exactly. And I know there's certain companies I respect to like, you know, there's defense companies that work with the military, right? So they have Mm. to be at an office because it's secure, right? They can't just bring their work home because someone could hack their computers and get the launch codes or whatever. But for companies, I mean, the pandemic really shifted how people are working, obviously. So so being able to work from home and do it successfully and be productive and be happier, I think that was one of the main good things that came out of the pandemic. The only one of the main only good things that came out of the pandemic was I could work from home and I can still Mm -hmm. enjoy it and I can see my son or daughter grow up while working. I could take a break and go to the kitchen get a beer. I don't drink, but like people, you know, get a beer, cook my own lunch. I have everything around me. I don't have to use a shared toilet. These are all things like that, (laughs) especially the last one, but especially the toilet. (laughs) That one was the deal breaker for me in an office. But anyway, I think the pandemic really brought on, this is a better way to live from home. And Mm so growing up, I was always an entrepreneur. I mean, I used to buy and sell Star Wars figures on eBay. Mm Mm-hmm. So the nerd thing just continued. Like I would go to Target. I would go to KB Toys, which if you don't remember, was back in the day in Southern California, KB Toys. I would go to all these different stores, Toys R Us, and I would just buy Star Wars figures and then I would resell them. And and at that time, also in the mid 90s, the Star Wars movies got re-released back in the movie theater. Uh, New Hope, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And that was huge, too. So for all those reasons, I'm like, I love to be an entrepreneur. I love to buy and sell things. And then straight out of, and then even in college, 
I was selling cell phones and pagers, believe it or not, and long distance phone plants. So I joined a company called Excel Communications. Some people laughed at me. Some people were like, that's kick ass. You're doing something different. So this was like one of your part-time jobs where you're in high school, like just got maybe a work permit or you're finally able to work in the world and you went to work for a company where you could sell cell phones and plans, kind of like a a T-Mobile or like one of those. Exactly. It was like a precursor to like T-Mobile. And Mm -hmm. it was, yeah, early first year in college. I'm like, I want to do something. I want to make some money and Mm -hmm. push myself to do something beyond just what everyone else is doing. So I started doing that. So I've always kind of fought against the grain and wanted to do things differently from others. And so where did you go from that after school? So I I joined Affleck in 2005, and I was there for about seven years. And that's where I really got to enjoy the freedom. I mean, I was like living the pandemic life 15 years earlier before anyone else. I was working from home, had a home office, made all my calls. I would go to offices to sell to people, but then you know, offer insurance plan. Oh, insurance. So we were plans. selling yeah, insurance and mm-hmm. it was like a B2B. So we'd sell to different companies and also direct B2C. I really enjoyed it. I mean, seven, eight years of doing, you know, on my own time. And I remember every Monday we had an office meeting where I'd have to drive into the office. Mm-hmm. And I'd I'd be sitting around, I'm like, okay, the hour meeting is great the MMM, the Monday morning meeting. But after Mm -hmm. that, it's just a total waste of time. Like, just don't be in the office. You're just sitting there at a desk. Go out and sell. Go out and connect with people, right? So it's kind of funny, right? Because we started out our conversation kind of talking about your social anxiety that you had as a kid. But here, you're working and enjoying a sales job. (laughs) You know, which really requires you to be in front of people and probably cold call or go to someone's house door to door. Like typically people associate, I think, a sales job or a salesperson with an outgoing maybe personality who enjoys people and all these things. Mm-hmm. Was there maybe a shift at some point where the social anxiety, like where was that shift so that you could kind of blossom and enjoy the sales role? Yeah. I mean, I think the anxiety is always going to be there no matter what. Mm-hmm. And there's only when, you know, you can work on it with your lifestyle to like limit it. So mm-hmm. it doesn't take over your life. So it's like someone with an addiction, right? The addiction is usually always going to stay there because it's in your blood, but you work on ways to like keep it at bay. Mm-hmm. Right. So I felt like by getting a sales job, it actually was a good challenge for me yeah. to get out there. And I, and I feel like once I really did it, I discovered I really like to connect with people and like see people, maybe not 20 hours a day, but five hours a day, 10 hours a day. I actually enjoyed connecting and hearing people's stories. And I started getting passionate about it. The other thing too, that a lot of people don't maybe realize some do, some don't, is that people that grow up really shy are very introspective as well. Mm-hmm. So they pick up on things that very outgoing people don't pick up on. They can read the room better and they feel the emotions. Like they feel more about what the person is feeling. Mm -hmm. And I feel like people that are introspective, a little shyer, even when we come out and we're more social, we still can understand and are more empathetic to how people are feeling. And I felt like in my sales job, I didn't just sell super hard. Mm-hmm. I think why people really liked me as their Aflac rep is I would come in and I was very personal 
And it was from the heart. It wasn't like, oh, let me, I just want to sell policies. That's why I'm being personal. Like I really enjoyed sitting down with most people. Some were not as pleasant, but yeah. most are really nice, fascinating people with great stories. Mm-hmm. And by me authentically and genuinely wanting to listen to them, to their story, and also help them, I made a much better salesperson because I wasn't trying to go there and oversell them. I was just selling right. them what they needed and what they wanted. So I think that was a great thing that comes out of that is whenever mm-hmm. you struggle or go through challenges, you learn about yourself, but then you learn about others and how to connect better with others. So that was great. Absolutely. And I think you're right with what you said that empathy and emotional intelligence, I don't think is directly correlated with being outgoing or introverted, extrovert versus introvert. I think emotional intelligence is something separate. <laughs> so either one of those can be be very emotionally intelligent which it seems like you are. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. When was the last time you looked in your spice drawer? If you're like me, you probably have to look at it every time you cook, which is a lot. And it looks like a complete disaster. Different size seasonings, different brands. It's a mess and totally uninspiring. That's until I discovered Evermill, the most beautiful and inspiring spice rack I've ever seen. And it looks gorgeous both on your countertop for everyone to see and compliment, or it looks great in your spice drawer too. Not to mention, they send you refills in compostable packets that you can get delivered straight to your door simply by sending a text message. So if you're looking for an amazing gift idea, you have to check it out. They also just released two new products, a white marble salt well and an aluminum pepper mill perfect for the person who you think has everything. You can get 15% off by using the promo code STAIRWAY15 on evermill.com. That's 15% off site-wide for the first time ever using the code STAIRWAY15 at evermill.com. Do you struggle to find time to go to the gym or even just work out at home somehow? What about the ugly weights you're probably hiding in your closet or under your bed? Out of sight, out of mind. Am I right? Meet Equipped, a female-founded luxury fitness brand with a no-pressure approach to movement that creates gorgeous weights that look so good, you can place their U-shaped weight called the U-bar on your coffee table and your friends will probably think it's a new art piece. Or if you're on the go, just throw on their U-wrap super stylish vegan leather ankle weights so that you can get a little workout in while running your errands in style. Featured in everything from Vogue to the Financial Times, Equipped makes it easier to move through life. And if you're looking for a great gift idea this holiday season, you can get 20% off on EquippedMovement.com using the promo code STAIRWAY20. That's 20% off luxury fitness equipment using the code STAIRWAY20 on EquippedMovement.com. Thank you so much to our amazing sponsors. I hope you're able to take advantage of these exclusive deals designed just for you. Now let's get back to the show. So after your time as a a salesperson selling insurance, what happened next? Why did you shift away from that into something else? And what was it? Well, I did nonprofit work. I started a company called Karaoke for a Cure because that again, this is like it's hilarious. Like, you know, grew up really shy and not around a lot of people. Then now I'm doing karaoke, karaoke. in front of like a hundred people. <laughs> that's good. It's like, you know, you I hear mean, these stories. you hear the stories. Hilarious. Yeah. I mean, it's ironic. And but you hear like stories, you know, like Johnny Carson, mm-hmm. the late host of uh, the Tonight Show, who hosted it, I think, for 30 years or something and a long time. He was really shy, very introverted. Joaquin Phoenix, 
same thing. Christian Bale, like all these great actors, Robin Williams was also by himself was a totally still funny, but he, you know, he wasn't like off the walls like he is when the camera's on him. Mm -hmm. So anyway, to move on to what I did after is I, I did karaoke for a cure. I ran it for about two years. I raised roughly about 40,000 for the children's hospitals of Atlanta and also Los Angeles. And we had galas, we had karaoke competitions where 10 people would go on a stage and sing and compete and someone would win like an iPad. And then I had judges there. I actually took music classes at Santa Monica Community College while I was working at Aflac. So I learned how to sing and I've always loved to sing. And I got teachers, music teachers that have been there forever to become judges. And I found musicians that have their own albums, had them to be a judge. So we had a gala in 2012 and 13. But the part that I was relishing, which I got a just side story, is I wanted to do, we had a gala with over 240 people. And it was at the Museum of Flying in Santa Monica, this, this pretty big venue. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm like, you know, I love to sing. I've done little, little karaoke bars. But the audience, everyone knows me because I brought them to this mm-hmm. charity event. I'm going to do an intro song. And I'm going to do the one that I've always wanted to do live in front of a lot of people, which is In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins, which is really fun to sing. But then I, I had this band bring in a drum set. So, you know, the part where like the drums come in, it was do, 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 do that whole part. I sang the entire song. I had just like Phil Collins in his concerts, he had, you know, the headset on and everything. And then I went to the drums and did the drum part. So it was, it was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Yeah. So the gala happened. That was 2011 and 12. And then in 13, I joined a small honey company that was in Brentwood. I got referred by one of my life coaches. Anna, and she said, you should join this company. And I feel like you you need to be in the food and beverage industry because you always talk about food and beverage hmm. and you're passionate about health. You're passionate about plant-based and be, even before plant-based was even a thing. You're like, oh, right. like veganism, vegetarianism. And how long had you been working with this coach, life coach? Like a year. And so what inspired you to want to work with a life coach? It was funny. Like it wasn't like something where I just like said, I'm going to Google life coaches and I need yeah. to work with one. I actually met her. She was a client of Aflac. So she was a CFO of a manufacturing company mm-hmm. in like Gardena. And she's just like, yeah, like I do life coaching. And I, you know, and there was this energy in the room when I like first, pre- I, I presented Aflac to her as a CFO. They make sometimes decisions for insurance. And so I just got along with her and hit it off. And so she became like a life coach for me. I would just talk to her. And so I would take her out to lunch maybe once a month, once every couple months. And then one day she just recommended to go into food and beverage. And she's like, I feel this for you. It's I feel that energy. I think this is your next stop because you've been doing charity work and you did insurance. And like, I think you need to do something that fits into your daily lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And she was right. So I went to the company in Brentwood and I was there for, I think almost a year, like six months to a year. I can't remember the exact timeline. And I just felt like they're doing this. I mean, they're doing probably over a million in sales at this point. And I'm their director of marketing. I did their social media. I did their Facebook ads and all this other stuff. And I brought product to stores like Lassen's and Erwan. What city are you in, by the way? I'm in Los Angeles. Okay. So you know (laughs) all these stores. Yes. So yeah. So like 
once I started like bringing their honey products into like Lassen's and like Erwan and I would meet the people there and the buyers and the managers, I'm like, this is a really fun and kick-ass industry. Like people are not dressed in suits. There's no office I have to go to. No office. You have to, the office is the floor, you know, it's the, Mm -hmm. it's the store and everyone has jeans and plaid shirts or jeans and t-shirts and they're all in Nikes and they're just passionate about what they do and no one dresses up and everyone's really nice. And it also is, we're bettering the planet and the people by fighting for shelf space with better products. Mm-hmm. So I, I felt like, especially Erewhon, which to me is like the pinnacle of quality. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of great chains like Lassen's, Bristol Farms, Lazy Acres, but Erewhon takes it, Next I feel, level. to this whole other level of just selection and price is a little higher, but mm-hmm. you know, you get what you pay for. So yeah, so I think that got me into food and beverage. And then after working at the honey company for a little under a year, I just said, I'm going to break off and do something on my own. And I met my previous partner also through the honey company. Uh, That was Keith Landers. And so both of us just looked at each other and said, you do operations, I'll do sales. We're good at that, dividing and conquering. And we started Genius Juice in January, 2014. So nine years ago, actually just celebrated the work anniversary last week. Oh my gosh, how exciting. Wow, it's been a long road. And so you decided to start Genius Juice. And what were some of the first things that you did to get the business off the ground? We didn't know what we were doing at all. We had no clue because we didn't really learn a ton from the honey company. We, we learned how to like do basic things, but we never really learned how to be like a founder or an owner, right? Which is a mm-hmm. whole different responsibility and, and, and it's hard. So the first thing that we learned is we got to raise money because we can't do this. Like I put in some of my own money. Keith didn't have as much money as I did. So he didn't put as much in. So we knew that we needed to raise from the outside, either you know friends and family. It was so funny. We were like Googling raising capital in Los Angeles. And like it would like come up with all these venture capital companies. Yeah. We're like venture capital. Like, what is that? Venture capital, <laughs> private right. equity. Like, okay. I think I heard that in the Facebook movie or something, social network. <laughs> and so we're just reaching out to like ballsy, reaching out to venture capital companies. We're like, yeah, we're a company where we blend the whole coconut called Genius Juice. We're re- revolutionizing what coconut water is by using the whole coconut. And we want to raise like $2 million. We're just like, it, yeah, it, going it was for like, it. We're, like we're kids, like we're kids. Yeah. yeah. And I remember that we did get a meeting. Everyone said we were way too early. Like we're mm-hmm. looking at, you have to be like 5 million plus in revenue. And right now you're under a hundred thousand. You're, you're just starting at this point, right. but there was one, I'll leave him nameless, but he was part of a large private equity and he's mm-hmm. the nicest guy. Like he'll sit down with you. He He loves to hear about founder stories and brands. And he's he's very successful. He's very mm-hmm. healthy. Mm-hmm. I think because he's so happy and he loves to hear people, it's not all about the money for him. Mm-hmm. We met with him at the Fancy Food Show in 2014, right after we launched. And I remember we were so nervous. I mean, this guy, they have done some of the biggest brands. So they work with a lot of huge companies and they invest in huge companies. So that was cool to be able to sit down with them. But Overall, we didn't know what we were doing. We had to raise money from literally friends and family. So we did raise a seed round of a few hundred thousand dollars. And we had our own little commissary. 
and in the city of Orange, we would literally blend on Vitamixes and then we upgraded to a big blender. So we used to do all ourselves. And that was really hard because we were doing production, sales, deliveries, invoicing. I remember carrying a mobile printer in the car where mm-hmm. I would like send the invoice to the printer and then print it out and give it to the customer. So looking back, we learned so much, but we did a lot of things I feel wrong. It was just yeah. inefficient, but you learn as you go. Exactly. I mean, there's really no other way to do it. You just have to figure it out as you go. And also, I think what's so interesting about starting a company for the first time is the ignorance is bliss. If you know how hard it's going to be, you may have not have gone after it, right? But you guys were excited. You had big dreams and hopes for it. And there's something so special about that that is really can make it make people unstoppable when you're so excited. Passion, emotion, drive everything. Exactly. I feel there's a there's a balance for sure. Like when there's passion, when there's energy and people are like, no one's going to stop me. That is all what makes brands like Midday Squares, Midday Squares or Poppy or Lemon Perfect, you know, Yanni Huffnagel. Yeah. They They've just, all been on the show. Yeah, exactly. There you go. So they're, the squares. Uh, We're going to get him going. Oh, get I'll, him make on the an, show. I'll make an intro to uh, Jake, Les and Nick. They'll, they'll, cool. they'll be on here like tonight or tomorrow. They're gung ho. Nice. So they bring the energy and I feel that energy and passion is important, but also being able to take things slower and like being able to slow down and analyze things and not be in like the herky jerky mode of I need to grow, I need to get I need to get this done, get that done. So I've really adjusted my energy levels in this business to like not be frantically trying to do everything and really focusing on one thing at a time and getting those done and thinking through things more. Mm-hmm. not rushing the process. And I mean, we just did a new design. I mean, we're coming out with a new product, which we can also get into. Mm-hmm. And just the design itself. I mean, this took four months, five months. I've never taken that long to do a design, but we went through all these steps. We went to an agency, we went to freelancers, we talked with all these different people, we got focus groups out. And so at the end of the day, I think we took Four months on the design, we took over a year on the product itself and the formulation and the efficacy. But now that we're at this final product now that we're going to release in the spring of 2023, I couldn't be more proud about how we did it. Like taking your time is the right way to do it in this business, to do it right. Interesting. It sounds like, did you learn the hard way in a way like you weren't taking your time at some points and that hurt the business? Oh, yeah. I mean, we made snap decisions sometimes within a week, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, let's do this flavor. Okay. Well, you know, there's, there's research. Well, should we do it? No, no, it's going to be a great flavor. Let's, let's try it out. Mm-hmm. It's like, but if you just try something without doing proper research, focus grouping, taste testing, you make a mistake, it could cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. So I remember in the early days, we had eight flavors. I mean, that was not a great decision. We had 16 SKUs. We had eight flavors of two different sizes. That's Mm. hard to, unless you have Coke money, $10 million or $20 million in the bank, it's going to be really hard to make that successful. So how would you have changed that? Would you have done three SKUs or something like that? Like, What would you have done differently? Three or less. I mean, maybe even just one, just to get things going. And at least when you have one, I mean, it's a risk. But if you know that that one will be successful, you start with that. And then you you grow the brand from there. I mean, Coca-Cola had one skew for 
60 or 70 years before they went into Diet Coke, right? And yeah. they built that into a billion dollar empire. So I feel, and Coke's a extreme example because they're big, but I feel like less is more in this business. Mm-hmm. You don't have to take over the world. You don't have to be everywhere. You don't have to be in all the different stores. Just focus on the niche, focus on the right stores, inch wide, mile deep, less is more. And it's not about doubling or tripling in revenue every year. That's not, to me, necessary in this environment. I think it's more about having a stable, a company that is profitable, a company that can be on its own without investment because you have great financials, you have great margins, and the product Mm -hmm. sells in the right stores. I think that's a better strategy, at least right now, because the brands that, I mean, I'm rambling, but the brands that are just going hardcore like launching in Target, launching in Walmart, launching in Costco or, you know, Costco, Kroger, Safeway, and like 3,000 new doors and 10,015, that takes a lot of money to manage. I mean, you have to have You have to stay on the shelves too. I actually, I think getting on the shelves is a lot easier than staying on the shelves. Big time. time. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I think it's often overlooked. It is. And a lot of founders get wild-eyed and excited, like, oh, wow, like I can be in 2000 Walmarts, which is great, maybe if it's the right fit. Mm -hmm. But think about how you have to manage all those locations. Think about every morning, if you are a soda, let's say next to Coca-Cola or Pepsi or whoever, they have people in there every day. They do self-distribution also too. They have their own trucks. So you're competing against people where they are in the store every day and they are trying to crush you every day. They're trying to take away your shelf space. They're trying to outsell you. They're trying to undercut you on price and all these things. So I feel like the better strategy is, you know, if you go to seven Airwans or you go to 60 Whole Foods in Southern California, you can manage a hundred locations in Southern California. And you can go to each and every location and make every store have the best velocity. Plus you can do demos. Like I could walk in there and do a demo at Airwan, right? So I think digging deep is the way to go. And then eventually, once you have money and enough people and resources, then you can go big. But it's got to be slow growth. Too many brands are getting pressured by venture capital and private equity to grow too fast, like to really like grow at all costs and have a terrible margin. And like those days are over. I mean, there's only so many brands like Lemon Perfect that can do it well. Mm-hmm. Most brands try to do it well and they expand too much and they fail. Yeah. It's a lot of work because when you're growing so fast, you're just juggling so many things. And if you don't have the right infrastructure, it's going to be really challenging and a lot of balls will start to fall on the floor. (laughs) You've got to pick them back up and then it just becomes a mess. So you guys were on Shark Tank. I was expecting you to wear your wig, but it's all right. (laughs) You did such a great... Somewhere in storage. Yeah, It's like an Albert Einstein wig. It was so good. You came in with three girls and you guys were dancing and singing and it was very entertaining for TV. And I think you guys ended up getting an offer or a deal with Mark Mm -hmm. Cuban and Barbara taking 25%, Mm -hmm. which is a lot. I, you know, the deals there are just so unrealistic, I think, to what actually investors when you're pitching funds or just going out to fundraise. It's just so different than that show. It's kind of deceiving and it's not a great place to learn, I think, about fundraising or terms specifically. Not at all. They're sharks. So. <laughs> yeah, which is like, do you really want to work with a shark? Like they're, you know, they're already asking for so much. But anyways, I'm sure there's a plenty of value there. But I'm curious your experience. I know we were talking earlier about a, a Forbes article that came out recently 
about Mm -hmm. the hundreds of brands that have been on that show and have those deals have fallen through. Can you kind of talk about your experience and maybe some of the article and the reality behind some of the deals that we see on Shark Tank? Well, the main thing is that our deal did not go through. I've been very vocal about that in different articles and interviews. And I think even if you Google Genius Juice Shark Tank, the first one is the video. And then like the second one right under that is like, the deal didn't go through and read, you know, read about why it didn't go through. Yeah. So I think the reality is that from what I've been told and and what I understand is at least 70 to 80% of all deals that happen on the air actually fall through. Wow. Post recording. There's reasons behind that, which I'm not allowed to get into the details. Usually it's just, they don't change the deal on you. That's why I haven't heard like of sharks changing the deal. But sometimes during when it's on air or it's kind of vague, you know, it's like, oh yeah, I'll give you a line of credit. I'll do this advisory shares. Like you kind of throw around all these big things, mm-hmm. but to assemble all these deal points requires a lot of detail, right? To like contingencies and all that. Right. So I think the reason why a lot of deals fall through is that the entrepreneur reads the contract and goes like, wait a minute, this is more than I thought it would be more entailed. Mm. And I don't want to be part of this deal or they air on Shark Tank and they're like, I don't need the sharks anymore. Right. I got, I got aired on Shark Tank and I, I have investors coming to me. So mm. it really, every situation is different, but there was a Forbes article that I'm sure you'll post or have a link to that just came out in mid January, 2023 about how a lot of deals don't go through and why they don't go through. And there was over a hundred brands. Some of them are not listed in the article like ours. Mm-hmm. We, we were not listed. A hundred different companies contributed to this article. They just reached out to different Shark Tank companies that they knew the deal fell through. Like they went public about it. Mm. And so the Forbes article talks about, I forget the title of the article or the headline, but it's something like the reality of Shark Tank. Yeah. And I'm surprised it took 13 seasons to (laughs) uncover. And and I, and I mean, we had a great airing on Shark Tank. We appreciate the producers. They're amazing. We got some great exposure. So I have... Mm-hmm. A ton of gratitude for Yeah, Shark I think Tank. it's a great marketing play. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> it get, really is. I'm sure you got a big boost in sales. Huge. I mean, you know, for online, it was close to a million. And then we got retail boost, which is hard to quantify that. But yeah. it, it definitely, if you look at the chart, then week or two it aired, it went like that. And then, yeah. So everything dissipates. You could do really good on Shark Tank, but is that going to make your company successful? No, it's going to help you get there. It's really about the hustle. It's about the entrepreneur. It's about the product. Those pieces of the puzzle help you to become a long-term successful brand. But anyway, the article really talks about how all these things have happened and how most people think like, oh, the deal went through, right? Because it went through on the air. It's like, no, a lot happening behind the scenes for sure. So what is the status of the business today? How are things going? And what can we see coming next? I know you mentioned a wellness shot coming out soon. Yeah. So we've had the smoothies for literally for nine years. It does you know, a decent amount of revenue for us. It's not lighting the world on fire all over the place, but it does well in the stores that we're in because it's unique. You know, We blend whole coconut into every bottle. We have a fair for life supplier. So literally like they, they treat the workers right. They pay them right. There's fair working conditions that, that was also important to us. They also certify the farms organic. So they help farmers become organic in Thailand. So our core product, which is the whole coconut smoothie, that's still there and that will continue to live on and be in the stores. 
and online. The new line we're coming out with is a wellness shot. So it's called the Genius Boost Wellness Shot. And it has functional ingredients in it. It has functional mushrooms like cordyceps, lion's mane, MCT oil as well, cacao and different ingredients. And it really helps with more focus, uh, more energy, more presence, more clarity. So it's really meant to be more of a nootropic type play versus like trying to do immunity shots, which are Mm -hmm. everywhere. We're not trying to be a five-hour energy either, right? We want to be something that combines the mental aspect of being more focused and feeling better, but also giving you energy for your body and your mind. So it's cool. We're getting kind of into the more mental health space. And I think it makes a lot of sense because, you know, the name of the brand is Genius. Yeah. So having a product which is all about your mental well-being, I think, makes a lot of sense for us. Absolutely. Cool. Well, I can't wait to check out the, the new wellness shot. Do you have any final advice before we wrap up here for any aspiring entrepreneurs tuning in or those currently in the trenches building their business? Yeah, I mean, I would just say in this environment, I mean, I've done podcasts about this, you know, with Mark Samuel on LinkedIn and all this stuff is just have a really solid plan going into it. Like really, like I said earlier, take your time with it. Don't try to rush through things. You don't have to get it done by tomorrow. Make sure to have a financial plan as well, like do cash flow. Make sure you have enough money to accomplish what you want to accomplish. And also have an avenue for capital lined up, whether it's a well-off family member or a friend or someone that invested in you before and you need to go back for more capital for a new venture that you're doing. I just think everything needs to be planned out really, really well, like from the beginning, both from a business plan cash flow, having enough money to operate your business. That's one section of advice. Mm-hmm. The other is to have the right product as well. Like the product market fit has to be really, really solid. So when you come out with a product or you're thinking of, ask yourself, is this going to sell? I know I like the product, but if I put this on the shelf at a Target, Whole Foods, Sprouts, Erwan, Lazy Acres, Bristol Farms, Wegmans, Mom's Organic Market, Mother's Market, all these different stores, Will it actually move off the shelf? Is this something that people really need in their daily life? And there's a lot of great products out there. There's also a lot of dumbass products out there that just, to me, don't belong on the shelf. Like they'll never sell. They're not filling a need. They're not filling a void. And they're eventually going to get discontinued, right? I won't name those brands or those products, but you see them, right? I know. I wish I can get. Uh, no, really, we don't want to say anything too to negative. No, no, no. it's Not hard good. enough out there. Exactly. <laughs> so there's going to be rare occasions where a weird product becomes yeah. big. You know, that yeah. does happen. But yeah. for the most part, you have to fill a need like, you know, Olipop filled a need by having a better for you soda. Lemon Perfect is a really great clean lemon water, a uh, Vive Organic wellness shots, you know, turmeric and ginger. People need that, especially when they got sick, when they get sick, and also Mm -hmm. during the pandemic. The pattern of all the great brands, they come out with something unique, disruptive, but also something that the market needs as well. So that's really, I think that's the most important part for food and beverage. Awesome. Well, Alex, thank you so much for sharing your insights, your advice, and your story in building Genius Juice. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Yeah. Thank you again for having me and happy new year. Happy New Year. 
thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.